So we've been doing a series on the will of God. What is God up to in our lives? How do we interact with God? How do we pay attention to him? And so for the past three weeks, we've looked at biblical characters. We looked at Abraham. We looked at Mary. And tonight, we're going to look at Jonah. We're going to look at the story of Jonah. The black books are the Bibles. You can find them around you. I invite you to take them out. You'll find it very helpful to have it open. Page 752. Page 752, the story of Jonah. I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, the first few verses, and then I'm going to kind of condense chapters 1 and 2, and then we'll pick it up again in chapter 3. All right? So here we go. Jonah, page 752. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. We'll just stop right there. So Jonah is going to Tarshish which is fun to say. <laughs> Most Hebrew scholars believe that Tarshish actually isn't a location. It just means water, sea. It's like Jonah hit the sea. Jonah went abroad. Jonah took whatever boat was going to any place to get him away. That's Tarshish. Tarshish just means away. And he's using water as the means of away. So here's the other interesting thing that pops right out in these first few verses. Away from what? Twice it says he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. And we think, huh. Now, one of our core doctrines as Christians is that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So Jonah, what are you thinking here? Well, Jonah was other, under the impression, as many people were in that time, that your God kind of had local access. Like he spoke to his people where his people were. And if you kind of drifted away from his people, you wouldn't hear him anymore. Like, like you could get out of the, the coverage area. You could get to a certain point and you would look at your phone and you would check and it would say, no Yahweh service anymore. <laughs> it's like you, you were away. You were out of coverage. You, he couldn't reach you. He couldn't talk to you again. So this is what Jonah tries to do. He tries to get out of the coverage area. Now, many of you know the story. You know what happens. He gets on the boat. A big storm comes. The sailors panic. They're all calling on their different gods, trying to figure out what's going on. They cast lots. The lots fall to Jonah. Looking at Jonah, they're like, dude, what is your deal? What is your problem? And he says, well, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, God of land and sea. And now they're really freaking out because most of them have a God of the land and then another God or two of the sea. But there wasn't one God of the land and the sea. That had to be a significant God. That was a God you did not want to mess with. So they're looking at Jonah and they're like, buddy, what are we supposed to do to get this to stop? And Jonah's like, well, I do not want to do what God wants me to do. So just chuck me over. Just pitch me over the side. Let's just call it. I'm done. Chuck me over. 
They're like, are you sure about this? Said, yeah, just chuck him. Chuck him over. Then you know what happens, right? The big fish comes, swallows him up. He's in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. He's still conscious enough somehow to sing a little song about the fact that, you know, hey, God, I think you're great. Uh, a little, little help. And then the fish pukes him out on the shore, all right? Now we pick it up at chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out, because he knows what happens if he doesn't, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hand. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, the next part of the story should be, and Jonah was exceedingly grateful, and he fell on his knees and said, you alone are mighty Lord of hosts. Thank you that I got to be part of the most amazing mission experience ever in the history of time. I'm such an idiot. I'm so sorry. You alone are mighty. I eat, eat dust. <clears throat> but this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, bounding steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. And now, Lord, please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes. <laughs> angry enough to die. 
And the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came to being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. That's where it is. Now, to understand Jonah, to understand Jonah the person, and to kind of get an idea of Jonah the book, we need to just take a minute. It's easy to make this a funny fable about a whale and a weed and a whiny little prophet. But I want you to think about something first. Think about someone who's hurt you. Think about somebody who's betrayed you. Maybe there's a group of people. They've made your life or the life of people you love miserable. If it were up to you, you would not see that person or those people ever again. Now, as you're calling these people to mind, because we all have the people, do you feel that ugh in your gut? You feel your shoulders are just a little tense, and you're remembering what happened to you, you're remembering the pain. That's how Jonah felt. Jonah hated Nineveh. Everybody hated Nineveh. If you were to ask that question, which group of people has caused your people pain when Jonah was around, everybody would have said the Ninevites. The Ninevites were ruthless. They were merciless. When they came in and conquered an area, they would display the maimed bodies of their victims along the way as they drove the slaves out so that everyone could watch their friends die as they left. They killed children in front of their parents and then plucked out their eyes, so that was the last thing they ever saw. When you heard that the Ninevites were coming to attack your city, there was nothing you could do. You could try to flee, but they would hunt you down. These were repulsive people. These were horrible people. They gloried in violence. They were like the Boko Haram of their day. They were like the ISIS of their day, like the Ku Klux Klan of their day. They only existed for themselves and their glory, and everyone else's pain gave them joy. And so when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, I've heard about the wickedness in Nineveh, and I want you to go there and tell them about me. I want you to go there and tell them I know, and they better change their ways. Jonah says, are you kidding me right now? You want me to go to those people? No. Those people should get what they deserve. I know how you work. 
I'm going to go there and they're going to find out about you and then you're just going to forgive them because that's who you are and they do not deserve that. So I'm out. And it takes being thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, puked up on dry land, for Jonah to say when the word of the Lord comes the second time, And then did you notice the narrator is so clear about this? So how big is the city? It's exceedingly large. How many days does it take to cross it? Three. How far does he go? One. He's like this. Forty more days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That's it. There's not like some big revival. Like he walks in a day's journey, like barely enough to like notice people. 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And that does it say, and the people listened to Jonah. No. What does it say, the text? They believed God. They believed God. And this little half-hearted, not really caring at all about it prophet delivers his message and it's like, Phew! it spreads like wildfire. And everyone's like, oh no, we are in deep Weeds, because the God of heaven and earth, the God of the land and the sea, knows what we've been up to, and he is going to bring it down on our heads. And everyone, did you notice this? From the animals up to the king, puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes. The king of Nineveh, this was the guy. And he sends out a proclamation saying, everyone's doing this. There's this amazing response. And Jonah's like, I knew it. I knew this would happen. This is exactly what I said. This is who you are. You're all nice and gracious and slow to anger and about stuff else. These guys should have gotten what they had coming. Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they've done to our people? Do you know what they've done to our neighbors? Do you know they should have got what they deserved? And we have to admit we get that, don't we? If you think about somebody who's hurt you or hurt someone you loved or has caused some sort of pain finally getting what they deserved, there's part of us that says, mm-hmm, that's exactly what should happen. You may have heard this week that James Holmes, the person who killed a number of people in the theater in Denver, was beaten by a fellow prisoner this week. Usually they keep him separate, and there was a moment when another prisoner had access to him, and he went in there and just pounded him until he was pulled off by the guards. Now there's part of us that hears that story and goes, mm-hmm, that's exactly what should happen. And if it were your child, or your wife or your husband who'd been killed in that theater, you would have said, yeah, let me have it too. Let me have my shot. He should get what he deserves. We get that. In a more lighthearted way, we even cheer this when we see it on the screen. 
So if you watch the Avengers movies, right? Loki, for those of you who don't watch the Avengers movies, Loki is a bad guy, and he's super annoying. <laughs> he's annoying and provocative through the whole movie, annoying, provocative, annoying, provocative, annoying, provocative, and then finally, toward the end of the movie, the Incredible Hulk just picks him up and goes, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and everybody in the theater goes, yeah! That guy was annoying us the whole movie. Thanks, Hulk. You rock. Yes. He totally got what he deserved, a little pest. Yes. He should get what he deserves. People should get what they deserve. Jonah says the Ninevites should get what they deserve. This is the way the world should work. People should get what they deserve. There's one problem, though. Jonah doesn't notice that in this whole story, he has not gotten what he deserved. He's the only prophet when God says, hey, I've got a mission for you. I want you to go here. He goes, mm, no. <laughs> right there, should have been like, bam. No, gets on a boat. Thrown overboard. He should drown. Nope. God appoints a fish. He should be digested in the fish. Nope. Three days, three nights, writes a psalm. <laughs> Gets puked out on land. He goes and gives a half-hearted little missionary journey, and it has these amazing results. They should have killed him, the Ninevites. That's what they were good at. Nowhere in this story does Jonah get what he deserves, which is why God's trying to teach him that little lesson with a plan. But it's not just Jonah. This comes up again and again and again in Scripture. Jesus tells this parable of this landowner who hires a bunch of people to work for him, and some in the morning and later morning and midday and later day and evening day, and he brings them all together at the end, and he pays them all the same, and the people who worked at the beginning are like, um, hello, we've been working all day. And he says, I told you I would pay you this much, I'm paying you this much. And they're like, this is so not fair. Those guys are not getting what they deserve. We see this in the parable of the prodigal son. You guys know this story. The younger son asks for his inheritance. He goes and he blows it doing all the things his parents have told him not to do. He drags his pig-smelling butt back home, and he does not get what he deserves. He gets a robe. He gets a ring. He gets sandals. He gets a feast. And the elder brother walks up, and he hears the party and he's standing outside and he says to his dad, are you kidding me with this right now? Are you kidding me? I've done all the right things. I have been the good kid all along. And that guy, he should get what he deserves. And the father looks at the elder son and he says, you are my beloved, and all that I have is yours. But shouldn't we celebrate that this brother of yours was lost and is found, was dead, and is alive again? And the parable ends with the elder brother and the outside of the party. The next move is his. 
the book of Jonah ends with a question. The next move is his. God is saying to him, Jonah, don't you realize that all that stuff you've said about me being slow to anger, abounding in mercy, steadfast love, that applies to you too? It's so tempting for us to look out on the people who are far away and to say they should get what they deserve. Until we realize that's not what we got. Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So think again of the person, the people who've hurt you. Now what if the word of the Lord came to you and said, you need to go there. You need to talk to that person. You need to go to those people. And you felt that stomach in that moment could we also remember Jesus parable about the slave who owed his master 10,000 talents and the master forgave him and the slave goes over to somebody who owes him a hundred denarii and he shakes him and he has him thrown in jail and the master brings back the first slave and says are you kidding me here don't you get how this works You've been forgiven 10,000 talents and you can't forgive somebody 100 denarii? When the word of the Lord comes to us and don't we pray for clarity? Lord, help me be clear. I want to know your will. Tell me what's next. Assuming that it's going to be fun. Assuming that when we're in the will of God, it's going to be deeply rewarding and delightful. And every now and then, the word of the Lord comes to you and says, hey, you know your enemy? You know your enemies? They need to know about me too. So the first step, because we all have the enemies, the first step is to pray for a soft heart. That you'll be able to lay down the grudges and forget the slights and the wounds and the betrayal that you'll have a soft heart. And that when the word of the Lord comes and says, you need to go to the place you don't want to go, you're willing to say, well, I was still a sinner. Christ died for me. I do not get what I deserve. Therefore, I will go. And I will say, here am I, Lord, send me. This is what it means to be a disciple. Discipleship isn't for wimps. Discipleship is for people who are willing to forgive their enemies and go to them and say, God knows your name and he wants you to have a better life.
It's about knowing mercy. It isn't about getting what you deserve. And it's about giving mercy to anybody else who doesn't deserve it. Here are we, Lord. Send us.